Hi, this is Dr. Lee Piccarello inviting you to tune in to The Head Game, a must-listen show for athletes and coaches of all levels and ages. Mindful Athlete Training in Newtown, Pennsylvania is a mental circuit training program that prepares the athletes to perform at the highest level of today's game. Athletes get into the zone faster and stay there longer. All right, time to play in the arena of ideas. Set to go is Dr. Lee Piccarillo and Jess Ferdinand. How are you, Foxy? I All wish right. there was a video. It told me there wasn't going to be any math. A today. video of what? Of what are you talking about? You're stretching before. What are you, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think I have to stretch too. You don't you don't stretch before radio? I bet you Foxy does. All the time. Really? I, I knock out a couple of push-ups in the lobby. That's right, man. I bring the huh. energy level up. Place you your to. adrenaline's there. Yeah. I, I play some music that's upbeat as well. Play a little Scandal Warrior. A little Scandal. A little Warrior. I am the Warrior. Do that's you even right. know the Warrior? Bang, bang. <laughs> Do you know the original warrior? You Probably don't. not. Probably not. <laughs> Foxy might have to bring that up a little I'm gonna bit later. Have to, You're going to have to. Because because that's his style. That's how he rolls. And now it's going to be in my head. No push-up competitions. But you've never, like, you know, attacked the stairs instead of the elevator at your workplace? Like, in a... a uh, a midday kind of lazy afternoon. I do that actually more than once at the office. Do the yeah, stairs? Oh. I do. I'll okay. go outside. I'll do like four or five take laps. Gym breaks. I do. I'll take four or five laps, power walks around the building, and then oh, I'll come up nice. and I'll do the stairs a few times. Maybe I'll do that before I walk in today. <laughs> it's feeding the brain. Right? It's 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 getting more oxygen in there. It's it's like uh it's like jumping out of an airplane, kinda. Mm. Sort of. Not really. Mm. <laughs> But it's it's similar to that effect. I can't imagine jumping out of an air. You know, I, I, I would be so ready. Like, that is one of that is that one of the my... things in my life that I regret not doing. I I made arrangements uh, for my myself and my brother to go skydiving. Um, I want to say I was about twenty three. He was twenty six. Uh, I found the place in South Jersey. I, I booked it. I made arrangements, um, and then. Scheduling didn't work out for my brother. We rescheduled. Scheduling didn't work out for me. Something came up. You know, n- not, you know, that those types of things aren't that you make special occasions. I'm absolutely going to do it. I think looking back, I just assumed that we would eventually get to it. And I never did. And I, re- I remember like stumbling on the brochure maybe 10 years later. Uh, it's one of those things in life that I truly regret not doing. Now, if you ask me if I would jump out of a perfectly good airplane at t- eleven or 12,000 feet today, no way. But when I was 23, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know my brother who came in? Uh-oh. Well, this is a good one. This is, this is this your is education. This is good for my, my background. He jumped out of a plane and didn't tell anyone. He went skydiving. And then that's because he's a, a warrior. Few, a few months later, he was like, "Yeah, I went skydiving before." I was like, "When?" This is Foxy's. Well, this is the warrior. This is what you do push-ups too? Yeah, I used to do. I used to spin records in a, a nightclubs and all this stuff. This is always the go-to. You know, we get them on the dance floor. I'm just trying to. I'm trying this, to this was it. nightclub. This is the one that. Yep. <laughs> this is the one, Foxy. Yep. yep. This is keep, the one. Keep them dancing. Keep them drinking. <laughs> that was the motto. Keeping. That's right. That's 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 the money maker. You keep them on the floor. You keep the feet moving. Shooting down Which the walls of heartache. Bang. <laughs> this is clearly like, near and dear to Foxy. Am I like, a, like mullets kind of situation? Why you got to go to the mullet situation? Because I'm a visual person. I need to see what Here it I'm... comes. Oh. Thank you, Foxy, there for you that. There you go. I appreciate that. So go. today's discussion is all about the elite performer. <laughs> 
the mental equation, the mindful mental equation, because we're going to put our spin on it, because uh, that's what we do, and we focus a lot of how we can assist the athlete in all those other non-traditional ways, but there are a few traditional manners that these athletes engage in that may or may not be out of everyone else's control. Is the mental equation of creating the elite performer something we can put our hands on? Is it out there? Uh, Are there a certain number of variables? What does an elite performer continue to do to stay on top? Not get there, but stay there. We've heard stories of MJ, of LeBron, of Tiger, Kobe. We've heard the examples of those athletes, but are there certain characteristics of how they live their life that makes the difference? What type of personality do these elite performers actually have? Is there a test? Can we profile them? Because if we can, I want to get my hands on that and I want to mass distribute it. Do they have any common connections with other elite performers? Do they all kind of drink from the same well? Is there a foundational element in how they were raised and what they have endured, um, how they've lived their life to get where they are? And why are the elite the elite? Is it something that is so above and beyond good or great that it's only destiny that brings them there and keeps them there? Do they welcome change? Do they, do they look at change as an uncomfortable moment that can actually help them grow? Or is it something that they're so naturally gifted in, they leap over difficulty because it's not that much of a hurdle? And finally, are the elite performers born superior to everyone else? But before we get into that, we're going to get into a little morning mindful news with Jess Ferdinand. Thank you. You're welcome. I have, I have something I'm excited because I think it's a really interesting um, topic. But before that, I just can't, I can't let it go. You know, it's Dallas week, Eagles versus Dallas. Oh, look at you going <laughs> right after Sunday It's actually a very night. close. I, I'm not going to continue further. I think it's going to be a really close game. Okay. I directed someone who's who's um, in a pool, Eagles versus Dallas, and yes. I went a way that I usually wouldn't have gone. You did. You're, you're going out on a limb. Anyway, we don't have to get more into that. Okay. What I really wanted to touch on was, so last night, as we kind of talked about already, is the game four of ALCS. Uh, more interestingly enough, the starting pitcher, Zach Grinke, so he's by no means a bad pitcher. He's a previous Cy Young winner. He's, If you were to name the top pitchers in the league right now, he's one of them for sure. He's a phenomenal pitcher, but he openly suffers from social anxiety and depression. Clinical diagnosis of those two. And it was so bad that he almost stopped his entire career. And I'm thinking like, and I, I'm watching, I turn on the game, and I think it's the first top of it's first no more than the second inning and he's pitching and bases are loaded I'm like how is he an elite performer and he and he puts himself in anxious situations every single day how is that possible now I'm thinking of creating the elite athlete or the elite performer and what the equation could be and it came to my attention I was like oh my gosh he's doing one of the attributes that we wrote down in our topics he's putting himself in uncomfortable situations every single day 
What do you think about that? Every single day. Um, I, I think I can think so much about that because, first off, when you think about this notion of social anxiety, the, the very environments that most people take for granted which is being around others, is the activating agent, which makes a lot of these people anxious, right? And that's typically on a smaller scale. So people with social anxiety disorder don't really like to be around small groups. They don't like to really socialize in environments outside of the norm. Now think about a baseball stadium. Think about 40, 50,000 people. Think about an away game. Think about a hostile environment. Think about all of the experiences that these athletes endure that quite frankly we take very much for granted when we tune on our tv when we sit down in our comfy cozy lazy boy when we have a, a, an enjoyable beverage and we're sitting back watching the game that maybe we've grown up to love and admire what these athletes put themselves through is so above and beyond the norm of an anxiety-producing situation, I think you learn, I think you have to learn early on in your career to be able to manage part of that as your game. Because I think these high-powered athletes don't really see what we see. I don't think they are in tune with the thousands and thousands of people that are watching. I think that's almost by default a characteristic, Jess, that has to be present. Because I think if they do take in the enormity of it, it'll swallow them whole. Which unfortunately does happen to a lot of players that we never get to see because they don't make it to that stage. Yeah, he. it's, it's actually known that he dislikes greatly um, talking to the press after the games. Mm-hmm. He and and people have made fun of it because I don't think that they're educated on what is actually happening that he's just uncomfortable to the max like he's just in a small room with like 10 people who are asking him questions and he try he keeps it like less than a sentence it's like a phrase like he'll say something just he's like yeah it's really hard to pitch to really good pitchers and really easy to pitch to bad pitchers <laughs> yeah it's short it's yeah. sweet it's to the point you know he's not he's not letting that guard down which is interesting right so you think about a survival mechanism he's got that wall up while he's doing the post-game interview but i think that has much to do because he realizes that he's more vulnerable when he is pitching so that probably requires a ton of his mental energy so when you think about our equation mm-hmm. i think having mental energy available to you at all times is within that equation. I think you have to be able to go into your reserve tanks much more readily than the common athlete because you're pulling on energy to sustain attention, to maintain focus, right? To assist Mm -hmm. with those types of things that we're trying to develop with our athletes in our own way. Yeah. I was going to ask how we could or just to think about it, if if someone like Zach Grinke walked in, I think people oversee what we do at in the lab as just like mainly with athletes, but it's also a lot of clinical advantages. Like if someone came in, he said, "Man, I'm a Cy Young winner. I'm really good, but I have really bad anxiety." Like, how would that be treated in the lab? It would be treated the exact same way that we help athletes, but our focus would just be, we would be using different terminology. And because uh, keep in mind, everything that we use in the lab are tools that were de- developed for clinical reasons first. Other than the FitLight training mechanism that we use, 
over at CALS, which is what we started with, we're now starting to integrate additional pieces. Those tools that we help athletes get calm, establish a level of focus, time their muscles are all clinical tools. So the exposure of the athlete who comes in and says, hey, I can perform at a very high level, but I suffer from anxiety, I suffer from depression, a lot of the foundation, just in our conversation is going to be more historical exploration. Where did that start? Where did you first experience that? In, in, in many, many ways, the elite performer, in my opinion, responds to very simple, straightforward concepts the best. And I think the clinical person who is acknowledging that they have difficulty is more interested in hearing about the backstory. I think they're more vulnerable to sharing their backstory. I think that's the difference. I think when you put them together, which I don't think happens all that frequently that's at least shared with the public's eye and ear of someone who's struggling with clinical levels of depression or anxiety that has that type of mindset. Hey, this is who I am. I'm good at performing, but I struggle emotionally. Can you help me? You know, you you hear about the professional athletes more often that are talking about these things, right? Mm -hmm. We've heard about players from the NBA. We've highlighted some of them in past shows. You're hearing more and more about athletes that speak to going to a psychologist, not necessarily for peak performance training, but more for stress management, what we call emotional regulation. So I think the athletes in today's modern era who go and seek help are more open to a much wider level of, you know, of, of services, Whereas mm-hmm. I think the elite performer who doesn't think that there's anything going on emotionally that warrants attention, it's, no, Doc, just stick to the facts. Just kind of just let's help me with why I'm here. And I think that's a delicate balance. It's very important that you're using that terminology. It's very important that you're sticking to uh, a much tighter script when someone is just available for peak performance, right? Yeah. But when we're talking about that type of performance and we're talking about getting the elite athlete in motion it has to start at the beginning it has to it has to it has to start with the foundation it's a quarter past the hour and you know what that means it's time for our own personal trainer that we asked week in and week out to give his advice and i'm going to hard press him a little bit this week i'm going to just ask him to tell him tell me straight up what do you think What's going on in your head? It's our own coach, John Kalinowski from KPA. It's Coach Cal's Corner. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Good morning, everybody. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, yeah, I was a little rattled this morning, a little uh, a little, a little off kilter, long week. How come? Uh, yeah, days are getting short, man, less sunlight. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm human. I admit it. I'm feeling it like everyone else. Uh, you know, that, that transitional time. But uh, somehow we, we pick ourselves up and we, we keep going. We put our, uh, our head forward, right, sometimes down, and uh, <laughs> we, keep, we keep grinding, right? Absolutely. So today's uh, discussion, Coach, is all about the elite performer. Is there an equation? We're talking about the mental side, and you've certainly weighed in with, with physical attributes that, that get those players from good to great. Um, let's kind of start off with... When you think about an elite performer, Cal, once they get there, 
What do you think that we, we can, we go right to a certain list in our mind, right? Our A-listers. What do you think is the mental uh, aspects of the elite performer that they need to get to the top? I think if they want to get to the top and stay at the top, um, they have to continue to make themselves better and realize that what got them there is is great. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, it's it set their foundation. It has developed them uh, physically and mentally. Um, it has developed them from a strategy standpoint, a skill standpoint. But everybody that they're playing against now is that much better too so they have to continue to make themselves better um from uh, a, a mental standpoint i think that can play you know a lot of games with a lot of people um you know there are some individuals that have a a, a you know exude a self-confidence which is very good but i think once you get to that level and you realize i'm not the best guy here anymore that these guys are just as good, if not better, than me, or or ladies. I don't want to just say guys, right? Um, but this, I, I think, that's really where what you guys do is so invaluable. Because when you can, like we we've been saying, when you can take that mental aspect of it and the um, distractions that you create and the distractions that are external, and you learn how to manage them or how to turn them into motivation. Um, you can become your best, but you know, to that being said, everything that you've done to that point that has been successful for you, that has gotten you to uh, that elite level, are the things that you need to continue to build on. And again, it's not just the physical, it's the mental. It's not just the physical and the mental. It's still working strategy. It's still working on skills, because even at the elite level, you're still going to have to get better if you if you look at you know any of the professional sports. It just seems like it's getting better and better from an athletic standpoint, and better and better from a strategy standpoint. Some of the coaches that you you have now are just really incredible, and some of the athletes have found the value of the mental aspect of the game. They do a great job getting into the head of their opponents. Um, so, I, to answer your question, I think they have to continue to build on their foundation, continue to realize that there are areas that they need to develop and not be afraid to develop them. Right. If you continue to work on what you're good at, you're not getting that opportunity to be the best that you can be because you still have flaws. So do you, let me ask you a question. You just kind of, when often, I've mentioned this before, the things that I enjoy about your opinion is that because uh, there are aspects of us that are cut from the same cloth we had, um, similar experiences we we chewed on some of the same dirt so to speak mm-hmm. but you 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 encourage me to reflect which i i think is uh you know very valuable i don't think it happens enough with the the young aspiring athlete and it got me thinking do you think those that are identified or ordained young as elite put themselves in their own separate category where maybe they're they may not be as receptive or um conversation feedback from others encourage them to reflect and think but do you think that can can become an advantage or a disadvantage are they putting themselves in a different category cal i i think and again this goes back to a lot of things that we talk about 
from a, a training standpoint, a diet standpoint, a, a mental training standpoint, that it's individualized. Um, I think there are some people that need that reassurance, that need to be put up on that pedestal to keep them motivated. I think there are some people that when they get put on that pedestal, it goes right to their head, and they think that, okay, I'm great. I don't need to do all the stuff that you guys are doing because I'm so good. Well, the problem with that, especially at the youth level, is you know sometimes people are born a little bit more uh, talented or blessed, if you want to call it, uh, from a physical standpoint. Um, sometimes you have some uh, individuals that have had a better nurturing environment, and that has helped them to um, become who they are right now. Some people have had the opportunity to seek out the appropriate uh, strength coaches, mental training coaches, uh, sport coaches that have helped them to get where they are right now. So the long and short of it is you may be really good at the youth level, but again, you have to continue to build on that foundation because as you go up level to level to level, the competition gets better and better and better. And just because you're good in Bucks County doesn't mean you're going to be good in Pennsylvania. Doesn't mean you're going to be good in the Northeast. Doesn't mean you're going to be good nationally. You're good in your little area. So I, I, I wouldn't want to put the idea in kids' heads that they're not good enough to be the best in, in, in Bucks or the best in Pennsylvania and so on. I want to reinforce the positive nature of you are good, you can be better, and that's why we're here. It's to make you the best that you can be. And in doing so, it's about all those things that we talked about. Um, how so, do you think? How do you think? I, I, these... I do. I do think it could be positive. I do think it could be negative because it could definitely go to people's heads. And and we've seen it. I know you've seen it too. How do you think where these... the athlete just doesn't get any better than they were in middle school? How do you think these athletes, Cal, process change? How do you think they they look at that? You know, so often we we try to promote at mindful athlete training that. Uh, a big goal is to make the athlete uncomfortable and then make them more comfortable with being uncomfortable. How do you think these elite-level athletes process change? That's a, good, that's a really good question. Um, I would think that at the elite level uh, that they would look at change, again, like you said, as something that would help to make them better. And again, it's, I like to look at it from a standpoint, and we use it in our training, is to get people uncomfortable. And it's not even just with our athletes. It's with everybody that comes in our facility. It's to make you uncomfortable so that it forces you to adapt. And that's really part of, you know, physiology and, you know, biochemistry. Uh, that you, when you're challenged and you're in a situation that you're not comfortable with, there's a whole general adaptation syndrome that happens. You have all these hormones that are released. You have all, all these different stimuli that are going on in your brain and your central nervous system, your endocrine system. So for that elite athlete, I think you still need to almost want it, that you want to be challenged so that you have continued to get better. Um, and is there times where you don't want to do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't want to continue to just bang, you know, you know challenge that person um, and, and um, cause overload or overtraining. To an extent, so there's times, like you said, where they want to be reinforced. There's times where we want to continue to do things that we need to work on, maybe from a, a fine motor standpoint, a skill standpoint. 
but we also want to make sure that we continue to challenge them physically and mentally so that they are forced to uh, adapt, whether they, in their own mind, realize they're adapting or just physiologically it's happening. Cal, so do I, you think... I do. I, I think the elite level, they still need it. Do you think there's an elite gene? Do you think that certain people are born with that destined level of success? I, I do believe that there are people that have a head start uh, genetically, um, but I also believe that... I'm not talking advantage. People... I'm not talking just advantage. I, I get what you're saying. We always see that athlete that's peaking early and often. I mean, like, the, the kind of like regardless of how things go environmentally, they're just going to end up on top. No. Okay. I, and here's why I say that. I think, as you were just alluding to, that there are some individuals that will have it, have that head start. You know, they're genetically blessed. Um, there are other issues, you know, not other issues, but other characteristics, not only just physically, but that they're blessed, you know, mentally and, and whatever. But I, I've seen a lot of athletes that um, had so much going for them from that standpoint that were in with the wrong groups. They didn't have the good coaching. They didn't have the right strength coaches. They, you know, went to people just because their mom got good results training with this person. They didn't seek out their mental training so that they had that uh, great base coming out of the womb and, you know, genetically predisposed to all those characteristics that you might look for in that elite athlete, but they didn't have it nurtured. They didn't have it developed. And it held them back from being who they could be. Um, so do I think that, you know, you can just come out and be a star? Very unlikely. I think you can have the head start, but you still have to cultivate it. And if you don't cultivate it, uh, that star kind of burns out. What type of personality characteristics would you say are consistent with elite performance, elite status? From an elite status standpoint, I think the person has to be driven. I think they have to want to grind. I think they want to have to. I think they want to be the best. I think they want to always be on top. What's that mean? What's that mean? They want to be, be the, the best. best. What's I, that I mean? think it's different for each individual, but I. What's it mean many, to you? I think for many, I would say that to be the best means that you have to be better than who you are today. That you. Um, How do you find that? Be at the top of your game. Where do you that get you that from? Be do you want to be that person that uh, uh, is considered a Michael Jordan? Is considered a LeBron James? Is con- you know considered the best in their sport in their position? Um, I think that you know there's always that um, you know there's always that carrot that they're trying to, to reach up for and get, um, and, and I don't think they're satisfied until they do reach that level, till they are setting school records so they are you know setting league records so they're they're getting uh the the uh, awards and recognition break away though break away from the athlete for just a second we all knew not actually more lebron than mj we all knew lebron was going to be elite you didn't have to know anything about the sport no when he busted out with his headband and he was doing things in high school we had a sense that Kobe might be elite, but you heard more about his backstory. 
being a military right. brat, living abroad, playing right. against kids six years older than him and just getting friggin' slaughtered for years. You heard more about his backstory because he was more of a, just think elite performer, Cal. Forget about the athleticism. We all know that Zion Williamson, or, or who's just going to become Zion, is right. going to be elite. We already know that. But we can also attribute that to physicality, strength, speed, size, sure. agility. Break free of all sure. of that. What's the personality of the elite performer? I think, like, like I was saying, they they want it. They want it more, and they do the things that they need. Um, there's that self-motivation. There's that hunger. There's that desire. And they, they seek out uh, the individuals that will help them develop in the areas that they are, that they're weak, that they're deficient, and they're not afraid of it. Um, when you when you brought up the individuals that you just mentioned, uh, yeah, they came from different backgrounds, and I, I think this is where our expertises are so valuable because we don't train everybody, or our approach to making each individual better isn't the same. You're going to approach you know LeBron differently than you would Kobe uh, with regard to what they need to work on, just like I would. There's no cookie cutter approach, but to you know, stay on topic. Um, yeah, I think that the personality is a confidence. Um, sometimes it may look a little cocky for those individuals, but they they back it up. But they're also, I, I think there is some um, fear inside them of failure, and I think that is something else that draw that drives them is that they don't want to fail. They want to succeed, but they will also do what it takes to succeed not just sit back and be complacent so cal we got a little music playing in the background and that's that's our cue to kind of wrap things up this reminds me of the instagram video i just saw on david goggins the uh, mega marathoner uh, who completed a 140 mile race after he was taken to the hospital he was discharged went back and finished the race afterwards and they show a little clip of him returning to the mountains in this road race, talking about how he's not going to get life, he's not going to let life beat him down. Wrap things up for me, and, and tell me what you think about elite-level performers and the mental equation. Well, I'm, I'm a math guy, but I don't have an equation for the elite-level athlete. I will see if I can come up with one for you, though. But the elite-level athlete, and in reference to what you just said, that is a perfect example of what we're talking about, that they are so driven. They have created an identity that they want to see flourish, and they do what they need to do to succeed. They're not afraid of their failures because they learn from their failures. And I think this is a lesson that anybody can benefit from, not only in athletics, but in life, that you can't fear the unknown. You can't fear the failure and, and things that you may want to try, but you're afraid to try. You have to just do it and face it. And if you fail, learn why you failed and make the changes that you need to make so that you can be great. And when I say great, it's the greatest that you can be. Don't compare yourself to someone else. Compare yourself to you and make you make you better every day. All right, brother. I like it, man. I love I love the driven part, man. You got me all fired up. As per <laughs> usual, Coach Cal, I thank you for your passion and your wisdom, and we will talk to you next week. The Head Game continues. 
here on WBCB. In the arena of ideas, Dr. Lee Piccarillo and Jess Ferdinand. So just a little shout out to Coach Gov and MMQ. Be driven. I was just explaining to Jess during the break is it's a it's an all day intensive that he does, I think, late summer at DelVal College, where he um, exposes to the, he typically does, he specializes in one-on-one, and he's the best quarterback coach in the region. Um, he's an intelligent, he is a tacticianer. He knows that I like to call him that. But he connects with his athletes. His, his methods are digestible. Uh, he is personable. And he makes a connection with the athlete, which is paramount. Uh, in the early stages of their development. Um, And he's worked with my son for a number of years. But this be-driven concept is all about an eight-hour intensive where it's chalk talk, it's in the locker room, it starts off with foundational elements, mechanical training, and then it builds to this crescendo of seven-on-seven with... uh, obviously wide receivers, defensive backs. It really encapsulates what it takes to be driven over the course of a long, arduous road uh, of becoming a quarterback because it's no easy position and it requires more of the ride the wave concept, which is his motto of um, going with the ebbs and the flows of a career. And I think it's very apropos for where he's trying to get athletes, his quarterbacks, to an elite level status. Um, Foxy, let's go to number three. This is change equals development. And do we fear it? Some people believe that if they go to the magic zone, they can't turn back, that your comfort zone disappears. This is not true. Leaving means to broaden your comfort and learning zones. Change does not mean to lose what you had. It means that you add. Change is actually development. This might seem as being afraid of the unknown, but it is actually being afraid to lose, to lose what you have, or even worse, losing who you are. Next, you'll have to consider the emotional tension and the creative tension. They operate as two opposing forces. The first, pulling you into your comfort zone. And the second, making you move outwards. To be able to move forward, you will have to get your motivation to emerge victorious against your fears. You will have to work on your emotional tension, especially on the fears caused by leaving the comfort zone. Fear of what will the people say, fear of failure, fear of ridicule and shame. You will have to recognize and deal with them. The emotional versus the creative, the the 15 rounds, Rocky Balboa, Apollo Creed, heavyweight fight. That They are constantly battling one another. It is good versus evil. It's the champion versus the underdog. It's the emotional versus the creative. Jess, what are your thoughts about that? And does change equal development? Yes. That's my answer to does change equal development? I say yes. Um, I think that this is something that happens a lot, like even with the picture I was talking about. If he never continued on, if he never said, you know what, I'm going to do this, even though, which is a key word that this video um, highlighted, was afraid to. I think when you get afraid to do something, it it keeps you in that comfort zone because that's what's comfortable. That's why you feel. You feel safe there. So you don't move out, but you can never grow if you don't move out because you realize it really wasn't that scary. When he goes up on the mound, it's probably a surreal feeling, and then he gets the win, and it's 
something that he just wants to have again, even though it scares him, and but he keeps doing it. Right. And when you keep doing it... You just keep growing. You keep getting better. I mean, he's now... But what is it about the, the personality chip that you have to have in your head to make that connection sooner rather than later that change equals growth, which leads to development? Hmm. Well, I think athletes have a, a certain type of personality. Their personality is, um, I'm not going, when you see somebody, like if you see like LeBron James, I think Zion Williams, maybe Williamson, he didn't say, I want to be like LeBron James. I think he said, I want to be better than LeBron James. I think that's that's when you get down to like these elite performers. They don't look at something and say, I want to repeat that. They say, I want to make my own history of that that's the whole nike commercial push oh. that's been around for a while now oh, right um what is it what's the well, slogan it, it, i well greatness I, pre- <laughs> presently it's constantly evolving but the 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 theme of it is that you want to exceed expectations you don't yeah. want you don't want to be the best on your team you want to be the best ever ever yeah right so it's the whole push of constantly pushing the envelope of change. It's uh, it's a brilliant stance, and I think it speaks to the masses. My point is, is there something about the elite stat- status, back to the elite gene, that spe- that message speaks to them loud and clear? Or is it something that's more innate? Can it be learned? Can it be practiced? Or is it just something that... Um, has to do with you know the cosmic array of things, and we are born the way that we are. And again, let's put athletes aside for just a second. Yeah. It's real easy to talk about the biggest, brightest stars in professional sports. Let's talk about the artists. Let's talk about the musicians. Let's talk about the operatic singers. Let's talk about the Pavarotti's of the world. Let's talk about the Michelangelo's of the world. These people that have been gifted to such a degree that they create and instill in us a higher level of human functioning because of their gifts. Is that predestined? Or is something clicking in them when they're much younger, which then drives them, very analogous to the professional athlete, that we're not paying attention to until we see the Sistine Chapel, until we hear someone sing? There's a, quite a bit of thoughts running around my head right now <laughs> as you talk. I First, that's, before that's you started... Before you started, I was thinking the video highlights that there is some sort of motivation that then kind of wants you to push out of that comfort zone. So when I was thinking of any elite performer, they have some sort of motivation that takes them from point A to point B because they want to get there. Like it's it's not like someone's pushing them and they're doing it. It's I think when you move out of a comfort zone, it's a personal decision. So I. And then, and then you started talking about other things, and then my mind started running around. <laughs> That's a very interesting point. Let me just kind of, because you just made me think of something. Stepping out of your comfort zone is a personal decision. That might be true to get you to elite status, but I could make the argument that while these athletes behind closed doors in practice continue to live that way, in pushing themselves beyond their comfort zone, while they are around the majority of the ordinary folk and the masses, I think they become more closed off. 
I think they they convince themselves that they can't really let anyone else in to their experience, how they live, because I think they genuinely feel they won't understand it, they may not respect it, and then it's going to potentially impact them in a negative way. I will give you a classic case in point, which I experienced personally. When I was in sixth grade, there was a multiple sclerosis foundation readathon, and anyone could join, and it was something where if you decided you were going to read X amount of books, you would go out and get sponsors to donate a dime, donate a quarter, donate a dollar for every book that you would read. And all of the proceeds would go to the Multiple Sclerosis Foundation. And I happened to win this event in my local grade school. As a reward, I was celebrated in front of the school community and presented with a MS Marathon Major League bat that was Woodburn signatured with Pete Rose on it. Mm. I was over the moon. I was completely ecstatic. I, I came home. I shared it with my parents. At the time, my father was a close personal friend of Lee Elia who was, at the time, strongly affiliated with the Philadelphia Phillies. At one point, he even managed them. Make a long story short, my dad got me to Veterans Stadium in the dugout before a game, and Lee Elia set up a brief exchange between me and Pete Rose. <laughs> Because I thought it would be crazy cool to have Pete Rose's autograph underneath the wood-burned autograph on the MS Marathon bat. Because Pete Rose was identified as the national chairman of the MS Foundation Readathon. I waited and waited and waited in the dugout patiently with my father. Players came and went. And all of a sudden, Pete Rose emerged. He came over to me, briefly acknowledged my father, did not look me in the eyes, grabbed my bat, signed it, and walked away. Now, some people might say, well, that was Pete Rose's personality. But as I came to understand that, the older that I got, that was Pete Rose's way of life when he played the game. Charlie Hustle was all about activating the meter switch once the game started. He might have been in game mode, which I now infinitely have more respect for. But when you think about the circumstances and you think about a child holding a bat, blah, 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 you think maybe, just maybe, that Pete would have said, hey, what's your name? Congratulations. Well done. Keep up the reading. Nothing. That's, I think, a classic case in point because Pete Rose was elite when he came to Philadelphia of staying in that bubble, Jess, that no one is going to penetrate because I've got an equation of mojo. And if I let anyone get in there, that might be a contaminant, which leads to the slow but sure demise. And now my career clock is clicking exponentially. And that's not an option. What are your thoughts about that? Thank you for the story. It you're welcome. Me understand. So you're saying that every 
that I'm understanding. Every athlete has their own equation. I think that they do. I think they have to. Yeah, they have to. They have to. There's something you do whether you know it or not. You put your headphones in the same way. You sit on the bus the same way. It might be very purposeful. Some of those things might be subconscious, right? But I think at the end of the day, they all have their equations that are key to their survival. Okay. So for the purpose of the conversation... What are the common key attributes of all of these equations that everybody has? There has to be some similarities. I I, I agree. The first and foremost is, and we've talked about it many times, that this may sound self-promoting, it's the intangibles that they bring. We can create a laundry list of resiliency, mental toughness, work ethic that are all consistent with being really, really good. But being elite and staying there has much to do with the intangibles that, quite frankly, not a lot of people are paying attention to and even fewer are doing well. They're just not. The small things that make up a cumulative difference to being having the ability to sustain performance over time, the ability, here's another characteristic, the ability to perform well under duress Mm -hmm. is something about the balance of the neurochemical in face of the environmental. So what's going on in our brain? What's happening in our physiology? Jeff Manto, Baltimore Orioles hitting instructor, has said to me, A hundred times, we can't actively control the heart rate in the batter's box, which then leads me to saying, well, if we can manage something about that response, statistically, it's got to give the player, the hitter, a better shot of one, seeing the ball more clearly, Mm -hmm. two, executing an overlearned mechanical swing, and three, making good contact, barreling up the baseball. If we can do those three things by helping the athlete become more aware of that calm intangible and they assign value to it jess that's part of the equation much sooner in their development which increases the likelihood that it sticks Hmm. yeah well there's i i'm always surprised by what happens at bat like you think that there's so much thinking that happens that I don't think anybody really realizes unless you watch it with a, a, a past player who's on an elite level. Like when I'm watching it with, um, we'll say my brother, for example, he's not just watching the game I am. He's watching the game and saying, he's going to throw a slider here. He's going he's gonna, to, like, he, he knows exactly what's happening as if he was standing in that batter's box being prepared to watch it. He's felt I mean, it yeah. so many times that it's become overlearned, right? Yeah. And then you anticipate. Let's go back for just a second of something that Coach Cal said. When we were t- I asked him, is, does change always equal development? And how, how do the elite athletes respond to the concept of change? And he said, great question. But one of his answers made me think of, he said that when you embrace change, it's a natural part of what's happening in the biochemical process. And it got me thinking. A big part of the elite performer's mental equation is advancing the evolutionary process. 
And what I mean by that is when you think about evolution, mm-hmm. when you think about how we adapt over time, there's this concept, right, of what is needed from us then dictates how we change and how we evolve, right? It's very Darwinian. It's very survival yeah. of the fittest, okay? Necessity is the mother of invention, and it's true with how we evolve from a hormonal standpoint, from a biochemical standpoint. Do these elite athletes actually have something about their genetic makeup which is expediting the evolutionary process? Are they more willing to engage in change because somehow, some way, innately, they recognize that change is going to encourage more adaptation, which leads to growth, which leads to development? I'd have to say yes, even though I really don't want to. I'm just getting pushed to say yes because I'm thinking of athletes moving into like the business world after they have played. And they have this personality that they just have to be better and compete against whatever is next to them. Mm -hmm. If it's a cat, if it's a person, they don't care. They just, there's this type of personality about them that needs to have, I think it really boils down to they need to compete no matter what they're doing. So I don't, then that's not a normal person. A normal person maybe would say, I just want to do my best job that I can. Can we accelerate evolution? Because just break away from athletics. Mm-hmm. When we look at the the morning routine of the CEO, which is now referred okay. to as the 4 a.m. wake-up call, yeah, are they expediting, are they accelerating evolution? Yeah, I think so. I think that they are. There's I most certainly think that they are. Because the brain loves patterns. Not that we all need to be CEOs to evolve, yeah. but something about their makeup, their push, the routines that we speak of, right? Doing the same things the same way, having a process, uh, covering all of your bases. It's a very holistic mm-hmm. lifestyle, right? Yeah. So how does that not accelerate evolution? How does that not expedite how we grow in development. See, they, when you look at things like that, it's... I, I, I just, I'm saying yes. That's the only answer I have. It's just yes. Foxy, let's go to number two. This is all about routines yeah. and how top performers start their mornings. One of the commonalities, one of the patterns that you spot really quickly if you interview hundreds of world-class performers, and I just interviewed 130 or so for my new book, Tribe of Mentors, is the fact that they have consistent morning routines. They have some type of recipe, a boot-up sequence that they use to win the day in some fashion. And it ranges from, for instance, mindfulness, and that could be mindfulness meditation, where you find, say, Evan Williams, who is well-known for blogger, Twitter, also Medium, uh, who spends time every morning, as I do, with some type of meditative practice. Could be insight, it could be transcendental meditation, you could use an app like Headspace, which I think is a great place to start, and it trains you, it allows you to practice becoming more aware and less reactive so that you're not thrown off by the unexpected challenges and problems of the day. And that helps you to be much more productive and much more centered. It's this, the, when I hear things like that, I just think of how similar like you don't have to be an athlete to be a performer. The CEOs that he's talking about are performing. They're preparing for like their game. They're, you know, when they go into. 
He's saying you, when you do mindfulness, you're training to be more aware than be more reactive. It's just the exact same thing as when you're coming up to bat. When you practice and practice and practice and then you go through mindfulness techniques, you calm down so you can actually do what you were training to do. You're not reacting. You, no, you're, you're – well, I, I think – I think your knee-jerk may still be to react, but what you're encouraging is more self-discipline to try to accept the moments as they come and stay within yourself. Staying present, I think, is more of the benefit of what these this gentleman is talking about in preparation of his book, Tribe of Mentors, which mm-hmm. I absolutely love the title, um, <laughs> that he speaks to his routine and his practice it's again over learning but you know what it made me think of it made me think of the common patterns that we might see on the discovery channel when we're watching animals in their habitat do the same things each morning Mm -hmm. the the um the uh the cold-blooded animals that their their body temperature responds to sunlight are coming out from their watering hole from their home their nest and and sunning themselves at relatively the same time of day for the same length of time let's get back to this whole evolutionary concept because i think it's a good one can this genetic profile be altered and are we simply bearing witness to those individuals that we're calling elite that perform at a much higher level that simply have figured out how to accelerate it and are we just the benefactors of watching that change i think after the discussion today i could probably say that to the equation for an elite performer, which is everything we're saying, um, it definitely it has to start with some sort of routine. So for if you're looking at it, we'll look at the CEOs. They wake up and they do the exact same thing every day. Yes. They wake up, they may meditate, they may go and, and go outside onto their deck, sit in the sun for five minutes, have some breakfast, work out, I don't know, do whatever they do. And then they go and they do something else. Like they have everything. It's, it's, I never, I don't think I ever really realized how parallel athletes are with everyday people. It's highly regimented, which you know what else it makes it analogous to? The military. Yeah. Because the military is looking for the best of the best to make the best of the best elite. That's the whole focus. When you look at any sort of training regimen, protocol, it's about the Navy SEALs expose themselves on day one to hypothermia of a three or four hour training session. They spend half of that time, two hours in 48 degree ocean water to activate a collapse of sorts of their normal everyday functioning and process why because they're accelerating the change cycle they're forcing adaptation upon them sooner they are advancing evolution i'm going to write a book yeah I think we have something. I think we should just keep going. I think we do. I think think, think this particular (laughs) show is going to go back to the foundation of it all, Foxy. It started here today. I'm feeling it. (laughs) Who else feels it? Who wants it? And now, Dr. Lee's Mindful Athlete Minute brought to you by Volvo Country with locations in Princeton, Bridgewater, and Edison. 
One is the loneliest of numbers, and being atop all else certainly is a lonely place. For it's the credo of don't let success go to your head, or let failure go to your heart, that pounds the beating drub of the elite performer. Being superior to all else in ability or qualities is what defines the elite athlete. It's a small group. The fraternity or sorority that houses those special few professionals does not permit entrance to just anyone. Its rush is intense and pledging rigorous. It weeds out many who have the dreamt the dream but fall short in reality. So what's the equation for elite status? What are the factors that drive so few to the top of their game and keep them there? The truth is, elite performers share many attributes that others possess. Work ethic, resiliency, and determination, but it's their rarefied air they breathe and under duress that sets them apart. Elite performers don't respond to failure the same way. They don't look at the path to success the same way. Their other traits category is chocked full of intangibles, while most just have one. They play with the most. You see, failure to the elite is mandatory. It's not if, but when, and how often. It's the response that's the measuring stick, and success is not a rival of your destination, but the beginning of the long, arduous road. It requires new tires, frequent rotation, and plenty of gas in the tank. So is elite achievable to all of us? Are we left to feel like someone else always gets the lead and we're left to support the cast? Now that's a truth worth seeking. Plan ahead, pack light, for this trip is a long and winding road. My name is Dr. Lee Piccarello, and that's my Mindful Athlete Minute.